Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Hey, everyone. This is Trina with the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I'm here with a very, very special guest, a really good friend, a sister, a comrade, a mentor, um, Miss Candy Rochelle Lewis of the Positive Results Center. She is the executive director, um, and she does incredible work in the community around um, preventing and raising awareness of domestic violence, teen dating violence, intimate partner violence, bullying, um, and just so much empowerment, women's empowerment, girls' empowerment, really uplifting our community, um, making sure that we're all well. Um, welcome to the podcast, Candy. Thank you, Miss Trina. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, Candy's a really good friend. It is the last, we're in the last few days of the month of October, and October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, Candy has been doing this work. I've known Candy for years um, in the domestic violence and relationship violence and healthy relationships work um, since I was just a wee, uh, you know, leader in the gender-based violence movement. Um, and Candy definitely was someone who had been doing this work and someone I look up to um, who was super communal and inviting and welcomes everyone to the table. And just yesterday, Candy hosted this incredible event for um, girls of color to raise awareness for domestic violence, teen dating violence, relationship violence, and bullying called Girl Talk, Real Talk. Um, Candy, yeah. you want to talk to us a little bit about that incredible event that I was so honored to be a part of? Absolutely. First off, thank you so much for hosting this conversation and for joining us, Trina. So Positive Results Center hosts a program called Girl Talk, Real Talk, and it's a virtual bi-monthly uh, bi conversation with girls. Um, and it's really positive and powerful. It gives girls an opportunity to have some honest conversation without shame or blame. And it is in a space that is culturally specific uh, and it's trauma-informed, which means like we've all dealt with some trauma and some bull. And so let's just be honest and talk about it. Let's call a thing a thing and not put any shame on it. And so we really wanted to do that as well with young ladies in person because of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And we wanted to focus on healthy and positive because we often come from a place of lack uh, and a place of um, victims, but we don't look at victims. We look at, we look at people who have been victimized and we wanted to move from this place of negativity. So we really wanted to focus again on healthy relationships and self-esteem. So Girl Talk, Real Talk provided a space for about 35 young ladies and maybe 20, 25 grown women to come together, mentor one another, and support one another while we're uplifting and having real honest conversation about violence, about abuse, about our bodies, 
uh, about love and healthy relationships, unhealthy relationships, and sex. And so it was dynamic. It was positive. It was powerful. Uh, you could see the women in the room, they were laughing, they were crying, they were hugging, um, they were snapping it up because it was all real. Yes, it was so real. Um, and I I was there, I had a chance to be a part of the um, one of the panels, but it's less about the panels because it was a community, communal conversation um, where the girls feeling supported and heard and able to share and open up, you know, and talk about these, you know, real conversations, you know, without filters, like you said, it was not performative, you know, we, you know, we were keeping it real, keeping it 100, um, as we shared our own personal experiences, and also let, you know, create a space for the girls to share and ask their questions and also share their experiences, because again, they're also experts of their lives as well, and have lived experiences, real experiences, and so I just loved that exchange. It was definitely dynamic. Um, and it definitely is just, you know, positive results all the way around is often creating these spaces where folks can have these real conversations. Um, and so let's have that real conversation right now, Candy, just about, you know, domestic violence in the black community. You know, it's, 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 it's something that's kind of taboo. We keep these conversations to our family. What happens in our home stays in our home. Um, and silence is violence, we know. So I just wanted to invite you to share some statistics about, you know, we talk about the numbers are important, um, about the experiences in our communities. And then, like, how do you feel like systemic inequalities or inequities contribute to those numbers? Because a lot of times when you hear those numbers, there's an assumption that there's an inherent thing wrong with Black communities and Black family structure when we know that there's systemic oppression and inequality that contribute to um, the ways that our relationships are um, uh, have a lot of violence in them. So let's talk about it, real talk. Let's talk <laughs> about it. So uh, first off, let me say that when I start talking about statistics, know that these statistics are only based on information that people have reported. So if there are 10 people in the room and only five people report, then that means that the information is only half accurate. And so by that, we say that um, there is every nine seconds, a woman in the United States is assaulted or beaten or beaten. So let me break that down. That's every nine seconds, a woman in the United States. That means that if that woman is older than 12, the statistics are not included in that. If that woman isn't identified as a woman, if they're identified as maybe trans or a child, that's not included in that statistic. And that's only in the United States. So if we, and also if they didn't report it, if that woman did not report it. So I'm breaking that down to, instead of every nine seconds, I'm saying about every four seconds in the United States, there's someone that is being beaten. And the statistics are showing that 21.9% of African-American females are victimized by intimate partner violence. Now, what that means is 21.9% of African-American females are being raped, physically assaulted, or stalked. And that predator usually isn't prosecuted. It's very difficult to get people, um, especially when we're talking about intimate partner violence or domestic violence, to be prosecuted. And you think, like, wow, how is that possible Someone beat this person, someone killed this person, someone raped them. 
And that's usually because a lot of times we don't want to call a thing a thing. We don't want to, um, we don't want to point a finger at that person who did the abuse. We're hiding the abusers and we are shaming the victims. So a lot of times we're not seeing that that is even going to come to trial because the woman herself, if it is a woman who's being abused, and let me say that men are abused, women are abused, and children are abused. But in this particular case, I'm talking about women. Uh, very often she's shamed and blamed. Like, where were you? Why were you there? What were you wearing? What were you drinking? Why, why weren't you home? Putting the assumption that the only reason we were abused because it was our fault. And that is simply not the case. And Black women experience significantly higher rates of psychological abuse as well. That includes humiliation, insults, name-calling, and coercive uh, control. But here's the real number. Well, not even real. African-American females experienced intimate partner violence 35 times higher than white females, two and a half times higher than any other race. So again, these are only people who have reported it. And when we talk about why is this number so high, well, let's look at our community. Um, our community has some of the lowest uh, financial statuses. Latino, white, Asian people have higher financial incomes than we do. Um, very often, because especially because of the war on drugs, that put a lot of our men and women in jail um, and take it, took them away from raising their children. Our financial ability to provide generational wealth and even provide for our family is difficult. And so what happens is, let's say someone has been in institutionalized and they've come home and now they're trying to take care of their family. Well, they can't get a job because um, they have a criminal record. And if they do get a job, that job pays such a minimum wage that they're unable to provide for their family. So by the time they get home and their partner is saying, well, where's the money? How much did you make? You know, we've got these children over here. They've released them from prison without giving them adequate resources, um, including help to reintroduce them to the community. And so there's often violence because they're not able to explain or communicate like what's going on, as well as at home, they didn't get the resources that they need to welcome that person back. So there's a lot of anxiety and anger and frustration. Anxiety, anger, and frustration often equals violence. So if I'm pissed mm. off because you didn't bring any money home, and maybe, just maybe, you didn't come home on time or you may smell like you had a drink, but I'm sitting here at home with no money and I'm trying to cook and I can't because I don't have any money. Guess what? Anger is going to pop up. Anxiety is going to pop up. Violence is going to pop up. And, and this is not our fault. This is what the system has set us up for. The system has set us up for failure. Um, also, you know, Anytime we look at violence, we need to look at power and control. Who has the mm. power? Who has control? Sometimes, you know, people think, wow, well, this person has a great job, um, so this should be good. 
But there's other issues that are, are concerning as well. Many of our, like, let's just look at schools. I saw this great uh, article the other day. They showed side-by-side um, pictures of the outside of prisons and the outside of schools in our community. They look the same. They show side-by-sides exactly. of buses uh, going to the prison and then side-by-side of a bus going to the school. They look the same other than the color, but they look the same. So we are actually constantly living in trauma and stress. People call it PTSD. Let me change that for you. We are not living through PTSD because that means that it's post. What we are in continued traumatic stress disorder, CTSD. We wake up and there's anger and violence all around us, whether it's in our family or in the neighborhood. Um, There's um, gangs that have not gone anywhere. And now because of COVID, um, gang violence, gun violence, murder, sexual abuse, and uh, opioid abuse is on the rise. We don't talk about the fact that, you know, we talk about COVID being a pandemic, but domestic violence was a pandemic long before COVID even hit, and it just got worse. And Mm. then what it did, it also made um, the housing insecurity a pandemic and the economic insecurity, a pandemic. So right now we're living through at least four pandemics and then add in the fact that black and brown people are likely to get killed before anyone else. That's the fifth pandemic. So how do we expect people to just process this world and walk through it or maybe skip through it? Like, you know, there's sunshine and rainbows. It's difficult. When it's not, it's not sunshine and rainbows. There's been a lot of storms and uh, tornadoes and hurricanes and flood, you know, all of those things, you know, that have impacted our community. Wow. You just shared so much. And what, and what I feel like what you're sharing is you're sharing through, through your narrative, the, the systemic, the systemic um, contributions that lead to this type of violence happening at a higher rate in our community, right? Racist systems put black people at a greater risk for experiencing intimate partner violence or domestic violence, and even our babies experiencing teen dating violence, right? Um, you just gave examples of like when you deny people access to economic opportunities, um, the opportunity to take care of their family, to resource their family, to build generational wealth. Um, you don't allow folks to get access to health care or mental health, right? Um, you, you deny people access to jobs, like well-paying jobs. You deny people access to an adequate education, like denying all of these 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 like uh, essential pieces of our lives so that we can thrive right that we can wake up see our kids take our kids to school you know just live a a, a healthy life like if those things are in place it creates these holes it creates these gaps um and these gaps are risk factors risk factors for domestic violence risk factors for um abuse right and so because our communities aren't having the um, necessary infrastructure in place for us to just thrive, it creates the conditions for there to be more violence in our homes and in our communities. It it creates the conditions for gangs. It creates the conditions for drugs, you know, because people are, are forced outside of the, you know, general economy are around and and pushed in these other ways in order to try to provide or to create um, great resources for our families and our communities. So, 
So I appreciate the way that you have weaved in the systemic barriers um, that contribute to um, intimate partner violence being at these high rates in our community. Because I I just want to flag like we're not inherently violent as as a people, you know, like if we could no, dial things back to provoke, you know, enslavement and white supremacy and all of that, like this is this is this is not um, this is not like inherently black. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. You know, um, when I talk to people about this, first off, let me say, even though we're not inherently uh, violent, violence is a learned behavior, and we do learn mm-hmm. it in our mother's womb. So, teach. especially if we're That was we're my next teen, question. Yeah, it, especially if you're a teen um, or you're someone that is in an abusive relationship to begin with and you become pregnant, the likelihood of you being further abused increases 66% or higher. As a matter of fact, um, yesterday at the event, um, a, one, of our, one of my mentors from, I mean, excuse me, one of my mentees who participated in a leadership class 10 years ago was there and she was doing an amazing job. She's graduated college, she has a job, she is now looking at starting her master's degree. And then she told me that her younger sister had become involved with a very aggressive person. And while she was pregnant, they physically abused her to the point where um, she has a physical handicap now because of this abuse. And we don't think about how our children in vitro are receiving all of this negative energy. We tell them, and I know you as a parent, um, Parenting for Liberation often talks about, you know, how do you engage a healthy child? We read to them, we talk to them, we sing with them, we, we pay attention to them. When, when they come and talk to us, we put our phones down, we get down low to them and we sit down and we listen to them and let them know I'm here, I'm with you, and I want to hear anything you have to say. However, when you're pregnant and you're singing to your baby, they hear that. But they also hear when you're being emotionally abused, uh, verbally abused, and all that negative energy turns within. So we're grooming our children to be very violent and to accept violence. And I Mm. think as I look back just on my life, um, because I can't, I can speak to what happened prior to. But in my life, what I've seen is that the war on drugs was actually the war on Black people. So we had a period of time where back in the 70s, there was this little drug called angel dust. And angel dust took people completely out of their minds. They thought they were superhuman and they could fly off buildings. I watched one guy who could be maybe five, eight, five, nine, 175 pounds, take on 10 men for 10 minutes until they they finally wore out and they went down, Um, sometimes even longer. But that was the precursor to crack cocaine. And what crack did, it did something that nothing in the history of the world has ever been able to do. And that's to take women, especially women of color, away from our babies in mass, like not like one or two, but in mass. And so 
the men were out on the streets selling the drugs or in jail or using the drugs, and the women were out on the streets um, away from their children using drugs. And so when you have the, let's say, the father out, that is the provider, and the mother is the protector. So then you have, if there's no provider and protector, you have chaos. So you have seven-year-olds watching over and being the parent for a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And so those children today are grandparents at 35. They did not have the skills and the tools at seven, and many of them still don't have the skills and the tools. That's not to say that they're bad people. They're just uninformed. And this violence comes from being uninformed and not realizing that this is not natural or normal. And so one of the other things that the, the system has done, it has taken away the ability for us to have mental health. It's only because of the pandemic that we're now starting to see a push to reintroduce mental health into the community. And because of our fear of what the system is going to do with medical and us. We know that there's nothing cute about past history in Black people and medicine. Uh, we've steered right. away from it. And one of the things that we did, our own selves, that I, I really talked to my family about and everyone else, is this thing, the secret, like, you know, don't tell anybody, keep your business to yourself. Nobody needs to know. But that's also how abusers, pedophiles, and violence happens because we have been taught not to talk about what is happening inside of our homes, and it's there that is killing us. Mm. Yeah, silence is violence. We must be yeah. able to talk yeah. about it, get support, mental health support, talk to therapists, counselors, join the sister circle, our community circle. I know folks have them in roundtable. There are different ways that we can. Um, Talk about what we're dealing with, the stress. It's, it's, it's a lot of stress and trauma, you know, being Black in America, especially with things like the war on drugs and the lack of resources and the way the systems are set up to really, really intentionally try to, the systems are really set up to try to make us not succeed and not thrive, right? Um, and so you're also naming, like, the ways that this violence can be passed down generationally, right? You talked about it happening in vitro, right, in utero, I mean, I'm sorry, um, it can happen in utero. Um, but we also know that children are not inherently violent, but they can witness violence, right? In a home or growing up, they might witness community violence. They might witness domestic violence. Um, what is the impact of witnessing um, violence and generational violence when you see it in the home? What's the impact? But then also, what are some strategies for us to interrupt and break the cycle of violence? Because we know that it can be broken. Like you said, violence is a learned behavior. It can be unlearned. So what are some strategies? What are the impacts and then what are some strategies? Okay, so the impact, it could be so many different things. Let me say that just because you live in an abusive home or have been abused does not make you abusive. And really not sure. Every person is different. So I'm not going to say that if you've been abused, you're going to be an abuser or you're but we can say that if you've been subjected to it, if this is something that you have seen and witnessed, and it's especially generational, then you're more likely to be impacted or become accepting of abuse. 
um, some some things that can happen is um, sometimes people become addicted to substances just trying to make it through the day. Uh, some people have actual physical body ailments. Their stomach aches. They get sick. They have headaches. Um, some people become very depressed. There's many different ways it shows up. And before I go really further, let me just also say that there's many forms of violence. A lot of people think that if the person is not physically abusing me, I'm not in an abusive relationship because everybody cusses now. So if somebody calls me a stupid mofo, that doesn't mean I'm in an abusive relationship. It may or may not, but there's other factors to it. So forms of uh, violence could be physical abuse, and that's like hitting, spitting, and choking. And choking is actually the number one thing that teenage boys like to do. There's the sexual abuse, and that includes inappropriate uh, touching, kissing, or saying things. And then there is uh, stalking, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, verbal, financial, social media, and medical and that includes not being able to use condoms or birth control um, or not even allowing you to go to the doctor to get your medicine. Some of the things that um, are signs, you know, you well, I shouldn't say you, you know, but if they're hurting you, threatening you, your children, your pets, or your family, they might say things like, you know, if you leave, I'm going to go over and I'm going to uh, kill your parents, so I'm going to kill the dog, or if they blame you for everything. These are all different signs. If they're constantly in your cell phone, wanting your password, uh, telling you what you can and can't do, where you can and can't go, or even what you can and can't wear, those are signs. Sometimes the signs, they may treat you really nice, but they're treating everybody else like dirt. They're cussing out servers. They're being mean to people. Um, and especially, again, the animals, those are all signs. So some things that you could do is you should first learn the signs. If a person is telling you that they're going to kill you, please believe them. I don't care if they never even touch you a day in their life. Believe that they plan to kill you, and that is what they plan to do. That is what they will do. And if the opportunity presents, which most times it will, they're going to call. They're going to try and kill you. Um, you need to create a safety plan if you are in an abusive relationship. Who do you trust? And that person may or may not be in your family. You need to get copies of your driver's license, copies of your birth certificates. Place them somewhere that you can get access to, maybe even a, a separate uh, set of keys to things. And if you are in an abusive relationship, if you need to, run, and run immediately. Don't pack any clothes. There are, are organizations and shelters that will provide your clothing, your medical, your dental, your legal, everything that you need. You just need to know that there's someone there that is on your side. So you need to tell somebody. And if you tell someone and they don't believe you, don't say, okay, well, if I tell anybody else, they're not going to believe me because that's one of the things that your abuser is probably telling you. If you tell somebody, they're not going to believe you. Just keep telling somebody until they believe you. Contact Trina. Contact our organization, Positive Results. 
contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline. We will help you. Um, also, you need to understand that you cannot pray enough. You, excuse me, you can't sex them enough. You can't cook enough. You can't lose weight or gain weight enough for someone to stop abusing you. That is on them. It is not on you. And until there is a change made, they're not going to be, they're not going to make a change. They will continue to um, abuse you. Um, the longer you're staying in that abusive relationship, the longer you're going to stay in that relationship as well. Um, some other things. Violence is never your fault. Violence looks different to everyone. Um, if that person is, if you feel like you're afraid, if they threaten you, uh, if they blow up at you, if they try and isolate you, oh my God, this is something that's really real. They want to tell you things like, you know, your mama and your daddy don't like me, and so you shouldn't be around them. Your girlfriends, they only like you because I'm with you or they really want me. Anything that make you turn against the people that you have loved all your life and trusted all your life, and they start to make you question other people, those are all concerning things. And then most importantly, learn how to manage your finances and understand even if that person is in charge of your finances, that is it really worth your life to say, at least I've got this roof over my head and I've got money in my pocket and I can go anywhere I want when you really can't because there's always a price on violence. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminds me, Candy, this, all this information you're sharing, which is so helpful. Um, I definitely remember when I was working um, and supporting, you know, folks that I know who have been going through um, violence in their relationships, remember those conversations and them talking to me and creating code words for them to be like, if you ever call me or text me this word, I know that it's time for you to escape and we have an escape plan, an exit plan. Where do they go? What do they take? You know, um, definitely remember preparing folks because it is serious because I know that the data shows, again, statistics show that when folks leave, that's when the violence increases, right? Um, when the person who has power and control loses that control, that's when, you know, sometimes the highest like rates of violence happen. Um, and so really making sure okay. that that extra strategy is one that's safe. But what I'm also hearing you say, Candy, which is what I appreciated about the event yesterday was that at the root of it um, was about the self, right? Like, how do we, how do we know our value, our worth, what, um, what we are deserving of and what we will accept and won't accept and creating healthy boundaries in terms of like the types of relationships we want, the type of communication we want, the kind of love that we um, want to give and want to receive you know, like how do we create relationships that are rooted in, in equity and health, right? Um, and a lot of this stuff applies, you know, we've been talking about domestic violence, but a lot and a lot of this stuff applies in, in our relationships with our children as well. Like we want to have these healthy relationships where we are, you know, taking care of our children and supporting our children and loving our children. And like that could be one of the first steps is like reminding our children about their value, their worth, um, how to love themselves, how much we love them and adore them so that when they, you know, when they grow up, they know they are able to identify this is what love feels like. And this right here does not feel like love. 
this right here that I'm experiencing is toxic. This is power and control, right? And like giving our kids a foundation that's rooted in love and trust and honesty and equity and mutuality so that when they grow up, they're able to identify like, oh, this is different. And this is not, this is not healthy, you know? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that is so critical. That is one of the missing points. You know, it, it hurts my heart when I go out whether I am in the store, at the park, in the mall, wherever, uh, even driving down the street and passing people, when I hear grown people cussing out their little children, sometimes who are in diapers. And I'm like, what in the world are you going through that you are looking at this baby thinking that you need to hurt them? You need to disciple who they are as a person and break them down. So I often tell people, when you have a child, remember that this is not only an extension of you, this is an extension of love, this is an extension of life. When your child wants to speak to you, stop what you're doing. It won't take long, but just stop what you're doing and give them your full attention. That way they know that you were there and that you were supportive of them. If they have a question, answer it honestly. Don't look into it further and be like, oh my God, they're asking me this question. What are they really asking? What do I need to tell them? Let me tell them everything in the world right now. That's not how a child's brain works. A child will ask you a question and that's all they want the answer to. And the most important thing that you can do is to be honest with your child. Because when you lie, and they identify that you've lied, now you've broken all trust. So what happens is something will happen later on, maybe violence, maybe abuse, something that terrifies them, and they won't feel comfortable coming to you. Every time I ask a a person, well, why didn't you talk to your mother? And they said, or their father or their grandparent, and they say, because they've caught me a liar before. And I know that they wouldn't listen to me. So it's important that we not, that we not make our children feel like they can't trust us. They can't trust themselves. Talk to Mm. them like they are a person. Children are people. Even Mm -hmm. though they may be babies, we should not like come up with a whole new language for them. And, and even especially renaming body parts. That is critical that we need to be honest, be real, and identify body parts as body parts. I remember uh, a teacher, there's the story going around, everybody knows it, the little girl who was being abused. She was in the first or second grade, and she kept telling people her father was touching her butterfly, and everybody thought that was so cute, but her mom called her butterfly her vagina, and so it was months later that the mother heard this and found out that this man had been sexually abusing the child. Well, guess what? By that time, that child knew that she did not have anyone that she could trust and go to and share her story because no one would help her. But that was because her parents didn't do a good job in sharing with her reality. Let's talk to our children and believe them when they share something with us. Trust them to always to be honest with you, especially if you've been honest with them. Mm. 
It reminds me of one of our affirmation cards, which is I am a safe harbor for my children, like that our children see us as a safe place to go um, and that they can trust us with their truths, with their scary things. They can communicate with us and they know that um, we're going to hear them, see them, believe them, because I think that's what most people are missing is someone who just believes them. Um, And I think I also just heard you giving a tip about like when you're talking to your kids about their body parts to name it what it is. It's a vagina. It's a penis. It's testicles. Right. Um, Absolutely. It's it's chest, you know, so that if someone is harming them or abusing them, when they communicate that they're not saying things like my cat or something, because then people will think somebody's messing with your cat. Somebody's messing with your stick or whatever uh, nickname people call it. Um, it won't help the adults in their lives who don't know the secret word um, be able to provide them help if they need it. So that's really important. And one of the other things, one of the other things that I want parents and people to remember is a child is a child. And so they see world through different lens. So when you, when they share something with you or, or you hear anything and you become upset, a child does not distinguish that you're upset with something as opposed to upset with them. They just know that you're upset. And so if a child is telling you something, remember to fix your face. Remember that mm. when you were looking at that <laughs> child, that they're thinking, okay, mommy is upset. Daddy is upset. Granny is upset. Let me not say that again. Let me not do that again. And you can share with them, you know, this is hurting me. This is, I'm upset, but I'm not upset with you. And we do that through not only words, but also facial expressions. And, and sit down and, and be on that same level with the child. If they're sitting, you sit. Don't stand over them because, you know, then that's you're in that power and control. And it feels intimidating to have someone stand over you. And so... Also remember that children's vocabulary is not as, as extensive as ours. And so when they're trying to get something out and they're upset, be patient. Allow them to share with you in the way that they can, even if maybe they need to write it down or, you know, color it out, or maybe they need to tell you later on after they, they calm down. But don't get frustrated with them because of their inability to communicate the same way you can. Mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, that's important. We have to meet them where they are. Age-appropriate conversations. Um, yeah, that's important. Well, before we go, I'm curious if there's any kind of resources. I know Positive Results Center um, provides resources for folks, and I know you mentioned a national um, resource. Just curious if there's any kind of last resources you want to provide for folks, um, because I, you know, I do want to say like domestic violence is a heavy thing. It has definitely hit my family, you know, I, I feel like everybody probably knows someone who's experienced domestic violence. And again, it's not, it, it is at higher rates in our community and we have resources about um, helping folks. But I also feel like if we talk about it, talking about it and raising awareness about it is a strategy for prevention because our, my goal, our goal is really to make sure that folks have the resources that they need, that they need to try to create the, the relationships that, that they deserve and not have to, and then be able to identify the red flags of toxicity or violence before they get too entrenched in a domestic violence situation. Um, and so this is all for prevention measures. And so if we have any resources you want to share before we go. Uh, absolutely. Before I get to the resources, let me just say this one thing. 
Domestic violence may also show up on your doorstep, like someone just needing a hug, someone needing to have conversations, someone looking for a sandwich because they're hungry, or maybe even a place for them to feel safe for a little while. So they may not come in and say, oh my God, this person is whooping my butt, or you know, they just cussed me out. They may just show up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm really tired, I'm a little stressed, you know, and I don't have any food in my house. Um, can you give me, can you make me a sandwich or something? You know, it, it shows up differently, but the, the resources are actually plentiful depending on where you live. Of course, there's the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which I believe that number is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. There are also local shelters for domestic violence. Now, some people may say, I don't want to go to a shelter. Well, in some cases, you don't have to go to a shelter. They have drop-in centers uh, that are on a daily basis that you can go to that will, again, provide for your food, for your medical, for your dental, um, to help you to decide if you need to get a restraining order or to help to put together a safety plan. If you're in Los Angeles, um, there are many different organizations. Of course, there's the Long Beach Women's Shelter. There is... um, Project Peacemakers, there's Genesee Center, there is, um, there's so many positive results. If you're interested, you can reach us at info at prc123.org, and I'm happy to send you a booklet of resources. There's also Teen Line. I love Teen Line, especially for young people, because their resources are, are specifically geared to young people. And they have a hotline that is open every day from or every evening from 6 p.m. to midnight. And the beautiful thing is it's ran all by teens. And it is very relatable. They can talk you through anything, whether you're dealing with substances or trauma, um, suicide, depression, uh, dating violence, and they can help you with resources as well. Or if you're a parent of a teen and you're looking for resources, they're also a great spot to go to. I love it. These are great resources because, you know, like you said, the resources are there um, and we have it in our community because you named some black um, Afro-centered places, um, organizations. I appreciated you naming like Project Peacemakers um, and Genesee Center, I know for sure. Um, are led and spearheaded by a uh, woman of color, um, black women who are really doing work to make sure that our community remains safe and violence free um, and provide the resources for those who are impacted by violence. So appreciate you. Appreciate you so much. I appreciate you, Trina Green Brown, because you mm-hmm. are dynamic. You have such knowledge and, you know, your heart. You walk in the room with your heart, and that just that makes the difference. That really does make the difference. Hmm. I appreciate that, Candy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. 
Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more back with thinking. Time for thinking ahead.